0: Wow, I love that song. God is always working. can't always see it. But that's what faith faith is all about. Thank you, worship team, uh, for continuing uh, week by week to minister life to us. How many of you are closely following the Green Bay Packers? OK, just a minute. How about the Vikings? Anybody following the Vikings? OK, we got a few Viking fans. Packer, okay, Packer fan, yeah. He's going to cancel you out. Um, how about, how about uh, the Seahawks? My hands up. There's two of us. Three, okay, three of us. Uh, Badgers? Okay, a few more. Uh, D- Detroit Lions? Amen. There we go, okay. <laughs> three, four, okay, three or four, okay. Awesome. Well, those of you that watch football know how important signs or signals are. All signs communicate something. Now the quarterback will call a play verbally, then makes gestures and signs to change the play. The players will make signs to the crowd to get them to what? Make more noise, they want more noise. I've thought about trying to do that here, but I've yet to figure that out. The referees make signs, holding, pass interference, False start, illegal motion, illegal back in the back, targeting, you're ejected. What's that? Keep keep the clock running. He didn't go out of bounds, okay? This means stop the clock. You guys watch the same games I do? Just checking. (laughs) That's football. We also have baseball. The World Series just completed with the Washington Nationals, whether you wanted them to win or not, they, they won the World Series. And baseball uses signs to communicate as well. You've got strike, you've got ball, you've got safe, you've got out. And if you watch the third base coach, it's very interesting. You watch the third base coach, he's making these indecipherable signs that everybody follows, whether it's the batter or the runner or whatever. He's doing all these crazy things. Signs are very important tools of communication. When it comes to driving, signs are important as well. They're critical, stop signs or yield signs. One way, do not enter, wrong way, or speed limit or school zones. Signs, signs communicate something very, very important. Several years ago, Judy and I took a music and hip hop dance team uh, to do a mission trip in Slovakia, which is Eastern Europe. And the very first day of driving, we were driving from the airport in Vienna all the way across Slovakia to get to Banska Bystrica, And the signs were in Slovakian, okay? And I, I was, there were three of us, three vans. I was in the lead van and I went barreling right through a sign and found out later it was a yield sign. Fortunately, we escaped hazard Because nobody was coming, but the two vans behind us, who evidently had studied signage in Slovakian, knew that was a yield sign. They stopped and looked and waited. But signs are important. Signs are very important. Signs communicate for the benefit of people. Well, God also has signs. He has signs. There are signs that even point to God. And today we're going to look at a, a portion or a section of Genesis that gives us. Signs. Now these are not road signs or football signals or baseball signs, but they're signs of God's character. They're pointing to who God is. They reveal to us who God is. The character of God. These signs point to God. And the last sign, one which we see very often, we'll talk about as well. And I, was, I want us to read about it. as we look at signs today. Five signs of God's character. We're going to look at Genesis 8. Genesis 8, starting with verse 20. It's on page 6 in the Bible, in the rack in front of you, or it'll also be in the, on the PowerPoint. Genesis 8, starting with verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled a pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground and upon all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. And the meat eater said, amen. Okay. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each man too. I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you, never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and a rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant. Between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on earth. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Heb, and Japheth. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the earth. Last last Sunday, Pastor Josh took us through Noah and the Great Flood. And today we find that the waters were receding, and now everybody gets off the boat. Everybody gets off the boat. And Noah's first act, as we read in chapter 8, is an act of worship, very significant. His first act, getting off the boat onto dry land, was an act of worship. And then we're going to see descriptions of the character of God. Five signs of the character of God. What is God like? The first sign that we see is an altar. It's a burnt offering. It's a burnt offering. And this is a sign of that number one is of affirmation. It's a fact that God is forgiving. God is a forgiving God. Chapter 8, 21 it says, The Lord smelled a pleasing aroma. Never again, he says, Will I curse the ground because of that? Affirmation Noah, Noah offered burnt offerings to God. God smelling the aroma was soothed. In other words, these sacrifices had a soothing or a pacifying effect on God, which meant that God accepted Noah's sacrifice for sin. His sacrifice for sin. And on the Old Testament, Sin was paid for by the shedding of the blood of animals. Don't ask me why. It's the way God set it up. God set it up that way. In the New Testament, we see changes. In fact, in Hebrews 9, 11 to 12, it says, When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already there, he went through a greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, But he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Old Testament, the blood of animals. The New Testament, it was Jesus. And Jesus brought forgiveness once for all by shedding his own blood, by dying for people. Dying for people. Hebrews 9.22 says, In fact, the law requires that everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. What does that tell you? It says God is forgiving. This God is affirming of us and he is a forgiving God. Signs point to God. Now the amazing thing about God's forgiveness, it's different than our our typical forgiveness, God's forgiveness does not operate on the basis of our worth or worthiness. God accepted Noah's sacrifice and God accepted Jesus' sacrifice. And both were accepted in spite of the people's continued degradation and evil ways. It said, says that every inclination of e- the human heart was evil from childhood. In other words, sin continued. This, this nature that continued to push us into the evil of sin continued. But God's love, God's forgiveness continued to be expressed and was given to us regardless. Regardless of that. God still forgave then, and God still forgives today. Now, all of us here have experienced God's forgiveness. And and if you haven't, you can experience his forgiveness. But we must understand that this sign of affirmation, this forgiveness of God, cannot be earned. We can never deserve it. We can never do enough to earn it. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The word grace means we don't deserve it, but we receive it anyway. So this forgiveness, this sign from God, which was demonstrated on the altar way back after the flood, the first act of sacrificing an animal, came to symbolize when Jesus came and gave us that same forgiveness God forgives us and accepts us not not on our own merits not on the basis of this ancient ritual sacrifice but because of the basis of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and we're still imperfect our hearts are still full of selfishness and pride and independence and arrogance and greed whatever every inclination is evil from childhood but still the real you and the real me, what God sees is accepted by God on the basis of the soothing aroma of Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus came to forgive and to transform us. And let me just say this because some people wrestle with this one sign because they don't think God can forgive them of one thing or another. There's There's always one or two things that, man, I don't think anybody could forgive me, even God. There's no sin you can commit. No sin you can commit that God will not forgive you. If you confess and repent, God will forgive any sin. Any sin. That forgiveness is the affirmation we have. So the altar, affirmation, God is forgiving. The second sign, the second thing we learn about God is something called commission. And that means God is changeless. Number two, God is changeless. Nine one says, God bless Noah and his son, saying to them, be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the earth. This is the same commission. Now, this happened a long time after, after Adam and Eve. But it's the same commission that God gave Adam, the first man in Genesis 1.28. See, this was... The pure, unspoiled environment before people sinned. Since then, the world had changed. The world was drastically different. But God, no matter. It started with Adam and Eve in this perfect environment. And now it's crazy. Crazy evil. Just awful. And mankind changed. The world changed. But God, he didn't change. He had the same, same commission. He stayed the course. And that's a sign that God is changeless. God is changeless. One of the the major themes throughout the Bible, from beginning to end, is God's consistency and God's changelessness. That he he doesn't change. He's consistent. Now we live in a world of constant, constant change, constant change. Sometimes we need something that's changeless. We just gotta be something that's changeless or stable. Look at, look at the changes in America. Look at technology. You, if you have a cell phone. Now, I, I just learned how everything works. Then I get an upgrade or a new app, and it changes the screen. And I go, where'd that go? I know there's, a, there's something here I'm supposed to find. It changes everything. I just figure out a computer program, and, and this anno- <clears throat> excuse me, this annoying update comes up says, update your computer. I said, just leave me alone. I I don't want to have to update. if you don't update, it'll quit functioning, so you have to update. Then everything changes. In our lifetimes, we've moved from 78 RPM records, some of you don't know what that is, 78 RPM records to 45 RPM records to 33 RPM records, black and white TV to transistor radios to 8-tracks, cassette tapes, CDs, MP3s, iPods, plasma, HDTV, LCDs, OLEDs, QLEDs, you name it. You look at all the technological upgrades, just technology, how that's changed in your lifetime and mine. We can put more music and data on our smartphones than an entire record library or a room full of filing cabinets. Isn't that amazing? You can get more stuff on there then rooms of filing cabinets change there's change is just part of our life Um, there's a guy named george gilder you may have heard of him george gilder wrote the book life after google life after google and he wrote that every generation imagines that their generation has the final attainment okay their generation has the final, everything that needs to be invented has now been invented. So we are at the final attainment. In 1990, by the way, he wrote the book Life After Television, and he's scary accurate. But now, here's 20, in 2018, which is not 2019. In 2018, he wrote Life After Google. And he talks about the fact that Google, Apple, Facebook, and Microsoft, all the tech companies of today, which are worth billions of dollars. I think, I think Google's worth like 850 billion or more, almost a trillion dollars. He said all of those tech companies of today will be obsolete or non-existent 20 years from now. What? Non-existent, obsolete. And he writes, the change, the change is, is mind-boggling. He, he says the internet that was created, I mean, I remember the first time I sent an email off-site was in 1995, and I sent it to my brother in Taiwan. And I thought, this is amazing. He's overseas, and he, we just sent an email. Well, the internet was created for communication, not commerce, okay? It was created for communication, not commerce. And there is a new internet being developed right now, just so you know, just get ready, fasten your seatbelts. The new internet is the cryptocosm cryptocosm and it's based on a brand new technology called blockchain and it will render the old technology obsolete. Just just get ready. Everything you know now is going to be obsolete. It's going to be better, I hope. I hope it's better. But new technology, change, a lot of change. That's just the area of technology. When we look at technology that changes, then we look at social changes, urbanization. Uh, What I read now, I read about companies talking about officing. That's not a word, it it tagged the word officing. People that office said it's much more efficient for many people to office at home. And so they office at home rather than at work. It used to be cubicles, you had to do everything on site with everything else. Now, officing, radical changes and and the the proficiency of people and productivity jumps when people office at home, typically. Look at everything. In a world of constant change, we desperately need changeless. Something has to be changeless. Now, th- that can't be the church, because some people say, that's why we stay changeless. No, can't be the church. It has to be God, okay? There's a difference. That changelessness has to be God. In this account, we went from paradise to the flood, then we go from the flood to the crucifixion, BC to AD. We find God is changeless. God is changeless. We go from Genesis to Revelation. God is changeless. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Heaven and earth may pass away, but God's word will remain the same. People change. Our world change. But God is changeless. We need that changelessness. The sign of God is his changelessness. The third sign of God's character, number three, is dominion. God is in control. God is in control. Verse 2 of chapter 9, the fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air upon every creature that moves along the ground, upon all the fish, and it goes on and talks, talks about what that's going to be like. Now, some use these verses to promote eating meat, okay? And the, you, you, you can use that. I mean, I, if that wasn't the main purpose of that verse, Vegetarians versus uh, meat eaters. That, that that's not what it was meant for. But if it grows, it's food. If it moves, it's food. Just just say it, okay? But that's not the primary purpose of these verses. However, in the hunting world of Wisconsin, I will just say that vegetarianism is a kind of a hard sell. Just say it. Just say it. Um, most people say, no, we are made to eat deer. Okay, I know that's true. But God is in charge and God decides who's in charge, who has dominion. God has made a decision that mankind people are in charge. There they have dominion over that, which means God has set it up. Now, much like change, we feel powerless to control our lives, whether it's future, job, family, finances. And God says, I decide. I give dominion. I'm in charge. Not only has God changed us, but God is in charge. As we look at our world today, it looks totally out of control. looks totally out of control. Overseas, we've got Iran threatening war, the war in Afghanistan, you've got all these things in Syria, all all the things happening overseas, and then here we've got the investigations of the investigators and investigations of whatever, the Russia hoax, we have the impeachment on, you know, all this craziness, and The instability that we experience as we watch the news and read the paper, read the news online, whatever it is, looks frightening. But ultimately, God is in control. That doesn't mean we shouldn't get involved and we shouldn't pray for our leaders and all this nonsense that's going on now. We should be praying, we should be involved, we should be informed and engaged. But don't get ulcers, okay? Don't get ulcers. God God ultimately is in control. Uh, If you're fearful, read Matthew 24. That might send you into overdrive. (laughs) Fear. Matthew 24 talks about Jesus' prophecy of the end times. And and what that shows is that God knows ahead of time, God knows what's going on, and he is in control. He's in control. When you read prophecies, bear in mind that prophecy is multi-layered. It's multidimensional. There's usually an immediate fulfillment. There's a future fulfillment, then sometimes a future, future fulfillment. So there, it's, it's many-dimensional. So when you read some of these things, you say, well, that doesn't make sense. Well, it, some of it won't make sense until the end when we see it happen. But the bottom line, when we look at all of these things, history, God has a beginning and an end. If you want to read the end, go to, go to Revelation, Now, the first part of Revelation, don't try to figure that out yet. I mean, that's great. It's it's very hard to understand. But the end, you can see what God brings, a new heaven and a new earth. Bottom line, God's in control. The fourth sign of God's character, his sign of his character, is called accountability. Accountability. This has to do with God's value system. God's value system. Chapter 9, verse 4 but you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each man too. I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by a man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God, God has made man. God's value system. God speaks here of justice and he talks about the value of human life. Very important that we understand the value of human life. God places such a high value on human life that if a human life is taken, it can only be paid for by the forfeiture of another human life. Let me say that again. God places such a high value on human life that if a human life is taken, it can only be paid for by the forfeiture of another human life. That is the basis of capital punishment. Capital punishment. I spoke to this at length, in my series on the Ten Commandments, God's Top Ten, and go into a lot of detail on that. But just suffice it to say that mankind, human life, because we're made in the image of God, human life is so valuable that capital punishment is biblical. It's biblical. Critics charge that capital punishment demeans life. It's actually just the opposite. It values life. It values life. Life is so valuable, the only way to pay for taking a life is to forfeit your own. And the main issue in capital punishment is not deterrence, which it is deterrence. It's not judicial mistakes. And there are judicial mistakes. There are innocent people that have been accused of crimes. They have forfeited their life. Tragedy. Tragic. But the issue here that God sets out is the value of human life and God's justice system. No sin shows greater contempt for human life than homicide. And no sin shows more contempt for human life than abortion. We're not going to get into that today. God values human life. So what, what should this mean to us personally? You were made in the image of God. God has placed an extremely high value on you. You are extremely valuable. Now, you contrast that with the culture. There's a cheapness, letter A, cheapness of human life. When the United Nations was founded after World War II, its objective was to end strife and tension producing bloodshed. But since then, over 20 million people have lost their lives in warfare. Not to mention other forms of violence. Over 60 million babies have been murdered due to abortion. See, it's a cheapness of human life. Then there's the casualness of human relationships, whether it's respect for parents, sanctity of marriage, or cohesiveness of the family union, or casual divorce, or no marriage at all. Marriage marriage is on the decline, why? Well, when you study Western Europe, France for example, you find that many French couples are building their lives together without stopping to walk down the aisle. There's one such, such couple had two children, a Paris apartment, 15-year partnership but they had no intention ever of getting married. Say, so we don't feel we need to get married. They said, I know many people in our age group who are, who are not married. Many that are not. In France, marriage has increasingly fallen out of favor. Growing numbers of couples are choosing to raise children, buy homes, build lives without religious or civil approval of their partnerships. And because of that, the marriage, French marriage rate has plunged 30 to 50% even as population goes up. That's a, something that's happened here in America too, because people say, well, there's no real reason to get married. See, there's this casualness of relationship, the emphasis on personal independence, which really is selfishness. No real commitment, just live together indefinitely. There's a casualness of human relationship. God set it up differently. God created the universe. God set the world and the laws that govern the world and that includes the laws that govern our relationships of all kinds, especially marriage. When we go outside of those universal laws and God-ordained principles, we see devastation, brokenness, corruption, evil and destruction. Satan knows if he can destroy the human family, he can destroy whole nations. See, the casualness of human relationships, that's contrasted with the culture. Then we have the corruption of moral standards. And Jesus said, or God said in verse 5, I will demand an accounting, an accounting. Finally, the final sign of God's character, number five, is covenant. Covenant, which means God is good. God is good. Verses 9 through 11 of chapter 9. God said, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you and every living creature. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. After this devastating flood, this, this judgment on the evil of all of mankind, God makes a promise, a promise, an agreement. And the promise is no new floods, no new floods. You've seen politicians promise no new taxes. This is no new floods, read my lips. That's what it is, no new floods. Never again will God destroy the whole earth with a flood. This is a promise and he can and he will keep it. Now there will come a time, and we'll look at this just briefly because some people say, what about the end times? In the last days, God will not use a flood, but fire. In 2 Peter 3, it talks about fire. 2 Peter 3, 10 to 13 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to be, live holy, godly lives as you look forward to the day of God, and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt with heat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. That happens after the rapture, the second coming, at the end of time. But until then, as it says, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. God made a promise. God established a covenant, a contract, a new agreement. And even though we as a as a human race, all of the human race has never deserved the goodness of God, God is good, God loves us, God blesses us, God protects us. Is it because we're good? No. Because God is good. God is so good that instead of destroying us and making us pay when we sin, he accepts the sacrifice of Jesus as payment it's the new covenant in my blood that we talk about when we have communion together and 1 John 1 9 says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all all unrighteousness the promise so we have the promise of forgiveness then we have the sign the sign which we read about the sign is the rainbow the rainbow I've set my rainbow in the clouds. It will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Rainbow. rainbow, The rainbow is seen by man, and it is a reminder to God. One summer in the late 1970s, I worked a summer job at Glacier National Park in northwest Montana. Beautiful country. And there were many incredible and beautiful things that I saw that, that summer, but there's one thing I will never, ever forget. One afternoon between these two mountain peaks over many Glacier Lake where the hotel was situated, a huge rainbow began to form. It was so beautiful that the people in the dining room where we were serving all got it from their tables and they all went to the window. I mean, it's amazing. It's like, wow, this is so sharp and so vivid. People got it from their tables and went over the windows, picture windows, to see it. And as we were watching it, then a second, Rainbow started to form. All of a sudden, it was a double rainbow. And then a third. I've never seen anything like that since. And the people were absolutely in awe. I was in awe just watching this beauty. Three rainbows. And as we looked up at those rainbows, God was looking down at us saying, this is my sign. I remember. This is a demonstration of my forgiveness, my goodness, my, my new covenant with you all. This is a demonstration of my love, the sign of God's goodness, his forgiveness and love. And today, not only do we have the rainbow, but also... The cross, the cross, which is a reminder of God's love, signs to remember. Has it ever occurred to you that very likely there is a rainbow or many, many hundreds or thousands of rainbows all over this planet Earth at any one time? And God is looking down and saying, Here is my sign of love for you. Do you remember? God does. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us signs of the goodness that you have. And I pray that no matter where we are, Lord, I pray that we would see the signs that you've given us here in Genesis and specifically the sign of the cross and the signs of the rainbow that say, it says, I love you. I care for you. I forgive you. I give you new life. And I pray, Lord, that you would just impress that on our hearts today, that as we look up and see the rainbow, you're looking down as an expression of love, a sign for us to see so we can know you better and know your love. In Jesus' name, we thank you.